Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to another episode of Be Fabulous, our 2021 series about the post-COVID world. In our fourth episode, we are diving into group unity. Now, what on earth is group unity all about? Well, you can think of this as there are conversations that we've never been trained to have. And this is what separates out the average executive from a fabulous leader. Now, when we say the conversations we were never trained to have, what are some of those kinds of conversations? Yeah, so there's so many, I guess. But um, think about the conversations we've had to have when business leaders had to address the capital riots, um, when business leaders had to uh, address George Floyd, when people, when business leaders had to address what was vac- vaccination policies and rules. I mean, these are just in the last year. We're, we're finding as business leaders, we're having to engage in <laughs> in areas that most of us were not trained to. I mean, if you go and study math or you go and study economics or you go and study law and you go and, you know, you go and you run a business, you, you're an entrepreneur, you start a small company, um, you're probably getting in it to create a product or a service, <laughs> sell <laughs> as much as you can, yeah. make some money. And, you know, you're not, you're not seeing yourself as someone who has to stand up for the value system and the, um, you know, quite frankly, the ethical integrity of a bunch of stuff you probably haven't thought too much about um, until it got kind of flung in your face as a result of the world around us. And that's, um, that's well, either scary from the perspective of a of a of a new leader who didn't sign up for that, but then I think I think back to I mean think back to you know we're we're, we're, we're well speaking for myself I'm a relatively old person now, and uh, yeah speak for yourself it's... yeah 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 I figured it would be insulting <laughs> to say anything at that point, um, but you think about it if you're if you're in your sort of forties fifties sixties where so many of our executives are, then you you, you didn't I mean, in fact if anything you were told not to talk about those sorts of conversations because of the legal risk and compliance risks that would come with them. Yeah, it was an HR no-go zone for a long period of time. And some might argue it's still an HR and legal no-go. Uh, but, but the point is, so if you just think about that, you know, how I would summarize it for our, our listeners is, and these, you know, when I think of group unity conversations, they're going to be social in nature. I don't mean social media, I mean like social, the social fabric of the... Social justice. Social justice, um, just community centric. Um, They're going to be political potentially in nature. It kind of forces you to kind of show your hands on your your kind of leaning. And we're doing that against a polarized political landscape where it's it's hard to find any common ground on anything. so we you know, kind of got that that undertone, and the, even even things like gender, diversity, um, those are all, you know, those are all things that are going to provoke something other than uni- unanimous agreement in whatever it is that is being suggested, advocated for, promoted. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that if you 
don't engage in these conversations, then you are seen as complicit. It's not okay right now. The rules changed suddenly in 2020. It was like an on and off switch. There was one day where you don't engage and the next day That's you right. do engage and nobody told you. It was just this, this, this tidal wave of, of sentiment of if you're not doing something, you're now part of the problem. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Vicky. And, you know, I think about that a lot. And did it really start in 2020? Probably not. I think it's been bubbling up that way, probably since sort of the rise of social media, probably, really. Um, but the expectations on leaders wasn't, wasn't there. Till, till, well, well, on, I agree with you, it probably was there in, in pockets, but not, yeah. not, not to the extent it is right now. Right now, pretty much every leader knows other than a yeah. few who are still, yeah. who were present in 2020. But for most leaders, they know that they have a, a need to say something, whether they're comfortable or not. Yeah, it's like it, it's like it took on a turbo boost in 2020. <laughs> and uh, it was almost like, um, I think earlier to that, it was much more about protecting the brand, managing risk, you know, how do you want to be perceived? You know, it was brand value and marketing centric, if you will. Now, yeah. now it's, it's, it's a bit, deeper than that. It's not just about how you show up. It's, you know, it's, it's what it does to your supply chain. It's what it does to your employees. It's what it does to um, your customer. I mean, it's, it's, it's more, um, uh, yeah, you're right. It's like, it's like it's on steroids now. And think about it. Think about, you know, management training in the 1980s where some of our clients, you know, they may have experienced that starting in the 80s and then the 90s and then the noughties. I mean, you were actively trained as an executive to look for people's weaknesses, to try and turn them into strengths, to focus in on the tasks at hand and execution, to stay in your sure. office, to wear suits, to, if you're a woman, not to wear um, the wrong kinds of skirts, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know? and yeah. none of this, none of this, even though there was a need, none of it was an expectation as a manager or a leader. And but you could duck it, right? You could just, you could opt out and it was easier for, it would be easier for, like it was almost like the default was if you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. And it doesn't mm -hmm. reflect badly on, on you or the company. Now it's like, yeah. if you and don't speak up, then you must, you must stand for the opposite of whatever it is that I think. <laughs> yeah, stay in your office, come out for your town hall once a year. That's right. It's okay for you to be seen to be removed and distant. Yeah. And right now it's almost the opposite. Yeah. But yeah. No, one's, no one's told anyone <laughs> that those expectations have changed. You think so? Or do you think that people are just not listening? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, I think the sentiment is there. But what I mean is like management training, you know, yeah. it's not like, okay, let's switch the switch this way. This is where it's gone to now. Yeah. Your, your beliefs about what it was to be an executive and a manager are not the same anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah I agree, and, and I think I think that's a really tricky one. If I if I sort of put my if I put my sort of business management hat on, if you like, then this is what we're talking about here is adding enormous amounts of entropy and ambiguity into something that's inherently volatile and unstable anyway. Um, so you know if you've brought if you've been brought up with the idea that you know leadership is just about projecting stability. Just keep it calm, keep it stable, keep it. And that, then you're going you're gonna to have a hard time with any of this, right? Because any of this by definition is going to add to the entropy. It's almost like you're asking 
for, for some kind of blow up, some kind of chaos, some kind of disagreement, some kind of glass door reaction, some kind of social media reaction. And, and you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So someone somewhere is going to, um, someone, someone somewhere is not going to have the same belief set that is underpinning these topics. Yeah, because they're what? They're, they're all hot topics. They're emotionally charged. They're very complex. Yeah. There's so many people with their different opinions and views and wants and needs. And it's, it's not easy to categorize and go, okay, I can segment my, my target audience and know how to talk to each of them. Uh, or you can, but that's lots of one-on-ones. If you're trying to hit anyone in a group message, to get that tone right and have the right conversation requires a huge amount of, of personal power to be able to navigate that conversation. And people know that you're coming at it from a good place. And that, I think you just nailed it right there. So what, what, what proportion of our business leaders do that? 2%, 5%, 10%? It's certainly not more than 15%. Yeah. yeah. Think about the first, you know, the first time you became an executive, the first time you became a manager of other people. I mean, <laughs> these are, these are, these are, this is not where you want to go while you're, while you've still got your training wheels on, right? It, it's, yeah. it, it's hard um, to build those skills. And, but then I, th I think you also have to look at it from an educational standpoint, right? It, there's, you know, there is a little bit of, I don't know, a, a little bit of liberal arts meets engineering, I guess, going on here, you know? Because um, this is about navigating something rather than solving for it. And I think particularly in the kind of tech-obsessed world that we live in now, there's so much uh, focus on binary problem solving, you know, uh, for want of a better phrase. This is the right answer. Go and do this. This is the right way. And I don't know, these things are, these things are not necessarily right or wrong. They're, they're how do you navigate them through the lens of time, where time can be decades or generations or centuries even. And that, you know, that, most business leaders aren't cut out for that. They're cut out to make as much money as they can, grow their teams, their departments, their businesses as best they can. It's a slightly different... Um, uh, it's like an exponential increase in obligation and personal yeah. risk. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and why? You know, who's asking me to do this? Yeah. And it's hard to put one person, right? Because it's, it's, it's some of it's external, some of it's internal, some of it's employee pressure, some of it's marketing messaging. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's ethereal. Um, so, you know, it works for us. Adapt or die, right? Adapt or die. Yeah, so as we're thinking about this, I think it's worth just recapping on what makes a fabulous leader versus a, a top-notch executive. So a fabulous leader, one, has to create enduring, motivating purpose. So something beyond the job, the task that people want to follow is really, really important. The second is they have to create that environment that enables others to act, meaning they are removing the obstacles, they're setting up the infrastructure that people can actually achieve what needs to get done. The third is the one we're talking about today, maintaining and strengthening group unity, because once you've got a certain size group of people, regardless of the political, social, whatever sentiment, you're still not going to make everybody happy. It's just the law of numbers. You have to be comfortable that 
a third are going to disagree with you, a third are going to agree with you, and then a third are going to blow in the wind that you can, can, can take on the journey. And so... And everyone's got big megaphones. <laughs> and everyone's amplifying through their big <laughs> megaphones. And then the fourth is being impactful and empathetic in the one-on-one situations. Because if you only see individuals once a year, then that is their single data point, and they may form a perspective of you. Oh, she's a great leader. She's not a great leader. Whereas the more data points they have of you, they can get a sense of what you're really about and should they follow you. So as we're thinking about this group unity and, and why it's so important, given we've got this diversity of wonderful individuals that, that work for us in so many different ways. Let's think about the organizational factors that influence group unity, because it's not the same in every company. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the way I think about it, and I'm not sure this is completely exhaustive, is just almost because of what you said about the law of large numbers. The bigger the company, the bigger the challenge is going to be, just by virtue of the fact you're going to have more people. If I've got 1,000 people, then I'm going to have 330 people upset with me for whatever I do. If I've got a, if I've got a company of 10 people, I've only got three people <laughs> upset with me. It's a lot easier to manage three people than it is 333. Then it's, it's, it hasn't turned into a rabble, if you will. Um, that, that's, that, so I think there is a, there is a reality of, of that scale, just larger the company, the more you have to take it seriously. And I think it's kind of interesting because I think the larger the company is, the less they're likely to want to take this seriously. Well, the risk feels too high. Because the risk feels too high. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we have this kind of weird situation where if you think about it, it makes sense and we see it in reality, the smaller the organization, the more it's able to take a stand on these things because the level of crazy, if you like, that blows up is a lot less because it's more manageable, it's more controllable. You're yeah. trying to do that in a large company and it's, I mean, you know. The ripple effects. You're, you're on the news, you're, uh, yeah. you're, you're publicly named and possibly shamed. Uh, it, it's, you know, you could lose millions of dollars in, or billions of dollars in stock value, depending on how that gets picked up. I mean, so there's, there's I think it's bigger. The bigger the company, the bigger the challenge. Um, yeah, and you also don't have the opportunity to get your hands around it in the same way. When it's smaller, people know you, you know them. They can understand where you're coming from. If there is little landmines that are going off, you can get your hands around them and contain them. When it's bigger, that's impossible. Yeah, it actually makes you wonder, doesn't it? When we have this conversation, it makes you wonder if large organizations can truly be purposeful. <laughs> but that's, a, that's probably that's, a topic for another day. <laughs> that's, that's another episode. We'll have to do it another time. <laughs> um, when I mean purposeful, I mean like beyond the needs of their organization. Yeah, I mean. beyond the mission. Yeah, beyond the mission. Um, and I guess the second one, Vicky, would be geographical distribution. So meaning, if, you know, if I've got 20 people and they're all in Atlanta then at least we have Atlanta in common, right? Or if I'm got 20 people in LA, then we've got LA in common, or 20 people in New York or London or Amsterdam or whatever, okay? Then there's, then, then that's, you, you just, you, by definition, you're gonna, gen, you're, gonna, you're gonna have more shared normative beliefs um, and to a certain extent identity beliefs because that's the environment you're in and, and that's just what's normal in those environments. So, so you're gonna have, so, so chances are your social, political, biases, if you like, or beliefs are likely to be more similar. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, you've got, 
yeah, I mean, you know, you got three people in New York or, or 30 people in New York, 50 people in Atlanta, 75 people in Dallas and 200 people. I mean, you get the idea. Now, now you've got, or maybe add Seattle to the mix, okay? And now, now you've got, you, you're never, now you've got the problem that even if you make a stand on something, someone's going to think it's not enough. Um, and, and that's going to, that's going to permeate just from geography. And I just used the U S but I think that's true anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And we've, we've always had this to a degree with, with hybrid working and, and companies operating different models, but definitely coming out of COVID, there's a whole nother scale of it that we've never seen before with companies that have never figured out how to make hybrid working work. They see the benefits, they've managed to do it for over a year. Um, they see the short-term benefits of everybody in person or everybody remote, but they haven't thought through the, the challenges as it relates specifically to group unity when you are hybrid, because now you have another world of pain. What's, what, what makes somebody feel connected to an organization if you never, ever, ever go into the office? What, what ties them to it? Why won't more money in a, a title lure them away? Which it always would have done, but now there's, there's, no, there's no real connective tissue to something beyond the job. So group unity becomes even harder because it's hard enough to be impactful when you can look into somebody's eyes and see their body language and take them for a coffee or a drink. If you never get to do that, and that's all these Zoom one-on-ones, and teams and all the other virtual media. It, you know, it's great that we have it, don't get me wrong. It's not like it was 20 years ago and <laughs> we wouldn't even have had this capability. But it has a massive challenge as we think about group unity. 100%. Um, probably also I'd add to also organizational factors that, that you know, as we're talking about, it's also just things like you know, so much of our work is now, you know, chat based, whether it's Slack or Teams or whatever. Okay. So, you know, you know, I, I would suggest that having a complex conversation about gender or racial equality, <laughs> Slack is not the best place to do that. Or, <laughs> or text. Or, or, or text of any nature. Or even if there are emojis still. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, we're laughing, but it's serious because I, I know people do this. I see it all the time. And, and it's just so easy to be misunderstood, misinterpreted. Uh, you know, it's going to generate, you know, entire departments of HR people who are going to have to deal with the collateral damage of that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that that we have to think of. And uh, it's, I, I think, you know... You know, it's really strange. You went to a glass half empty place there when you said like, a whole world of pain. I was like, oh my God, Vips is rubbing off on Vicky. This is not a good thing. Um, but, but it is a world of pain. Um, you know, what I was thinking when you said that was, how is this different from pre-COVID, if you like? And if you think about it, it's a truism. If you're an executive or a leader, you're always making difficult decisions. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, you're still making difficult decisions where a third of people would agree with it, a third of people didn't, and so forth. Absolutely. I think the, I think the difference was, I think the difference was that you could look at it across a three-month or a six-month or a 12-month period and say, you know, am I making enough decisions that are serving all of my constituents appropriately? So 
or their teams, whatever you want to call it, like the wants and needs. So you could kind of spread the love, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, so not every group is miserable all the time. Right. Right. So you're, you're yeah, everyone is equally miserable. As opposed to... <laughs> <laughs> okay. But by, I think this is different because these things are much more tied to people's sense of identity. Yeah. And so now if, if I, if I, if I make a decision or say something that is counter to you on, on one of these social, political, you know, core belief, identity beliefs level, then I might never forgive you. Yeah, so my, my, the level of goodwill, the amount of emotional bank account credit I have to have, you know, stop being a plus one and minus four, is now I, you know, I, I've taken a 500 credit debit and it's gonna take me three years to rebuild that. Okay. And why do, you, why do you think that is, Vips? Uh, well... I mean, if we think about the, you know, the, the, the plus one, the minus four for our listeners. So yeah. every, time you, um, every time you do something that feels positive to the other person, you can think of that as a relationship building moment, a plus one. And if you think of, and those could be things like, you know, smiling and, and welcoming somebody. It could be um, helping them with a particular problem. I mean, you name it. It's all the things that feel good in the, in the work environment and outside. And the, the minus ones are the things that don't feel good. It's the little snide comments or it's the not quite delivering what was expected. And we can all think of the things that... Didn't that, get the promotion uh, you wanted. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you have to work four times as hard for each one of those negatives to get back into a positive situation unless you fix it quickly and then you then you then you turn a bad into a good yeah but it still takes a lot of effort so now we're looking at well this equation's just got so much worse because of the situation we're in right now and and so why is that i gave you some time there bibs no that's very good i I appreciate i appreciate the thinking (laughs) time yeah Uh, yeah you you talk to my analytical voice very well there now i'll tell you why uh, here's my hypothesis, and I'd be curious what other people think. I, I think it's fundamentally because the things that we used to get our plus ones and, and minus fours on didn't really matter to people at a core identity level. They could be chalked off as a good business decision or a policy decision or a process decision or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so they, you know, it, it doesn't feel as... Um, Personal. Personal or slanderous mm. or an mm. attack on th- something that I believe at my core is an injustice or mm. I believe at my core is just wrong, okay? And, and I think when you're talking about the domain that we're talking about right now, which I do believe is here to stay, I, I, don't, I think there will be some recoil and readjustment, but I, I do think a lot of this is here to stay because, because that's what younger people want from our leaders. And yeah, we've abdicated that for so long. Um, but I, I think so. So I think what it's doing is these things are touching people's sense of core, core beliefs, core identities. So it's almost like um, it's not something you can, uh, it's not something you can let go of. It's something that feels like you attack them personally. And therefore they, you know, it's like, it's like, all right, I'm done. You know, yeah. you know, the relationship's over. It's a breakup. It's not a, it's not a, we're going to go to counseling and get sorted out. It's a, it's a, you know, it, you, 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 you overstepped the line for me of something I think is really important. And, you know, I... I and that's not going to go away, right? No. It's not well, going to go Not back. for as long as we're in this period of polarization, 
at a macro level. At a yeah, and that's that's not a one to two year journey. No, no, that's, that's, <laughs> no, no, it's about decades. That's about decades. Yeah, twenty, yeah. twenty five, thirty years. Yeah, if we don't if we don't blow up the planet in the meantime, yeah. <laughs> you see, glass half well, glass half empty, Vicky. <laughs> or run out of run out of water and food and other things. No, but you know, you know, just to make it concrete. So I, I was speaking to someone. I won't tell you who it is. I was, I was speaking to someone, and we were, we were having quite an academic conversation. I was privileged that they felt comfortable doing so. And it was, it was on, you know, it was, we were having a conversation about uh, um, gender equality in the workplace, you know, number of senior women basically in, in executive roles. And, and this person was, was, was genuine, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a throwaway comment, okay? This person basically made the argument for why humanity is better if women are in the home. Right? right now, I don't personally subscribe to that. But when I asked him to explain his logic, it was clear that it made absolute logical sense to them. Yeah, and in this case, this person's wife also believed the same thing. Okay, so from that point of view. If I make a statement and say that's wrong, for example, that, then now I'm attacking the very fabric of not just their belief system, but how they've chosen to create their family unit. Okay? So it's like, so the, so the question, hold on a second, well, who's happier? Like I know, how, I know how stressed female executives get in roles, I know how stressed male executives get in roles, okay? They seem to be pretty happy. As, as, you know, as husband and wife in this case, and happy with their choices. And, but, my, but my point is like, you know, if you make too strong an argument, another way you could end up alienating someone who's just made a different, different life choice. And, and it's, it's, it's a really quite a fine line between advocating for something that you see an injustice with and intruding on someone else's perception of what is right or wrong. And that happens also, you know, when you get to social and political, I mean, you start, you start tiptoeing into religion and, you know, yeah. beliefs that have existed for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, th those, are, those are tricky places to be. Vaccinations are doing it, right? Like, Completely. You know, there's, I've, I've spoken to several female executives who are uncomfortable with the idea of having a vaccine because they're just scared about what it might mean for their unborn children. Yeah. That's a real fear. That's a real, that's, well, these are all real. My point is these are all real fears. It's just mm -hmm. the ones that we see from the people around us are the ones that we tend to think are more prevalent just because they have proximity. But you put yourself in a different environment and you might see a different prevailing view. And, and this is kind of why, you know, I, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old, but, but uh, tolerance and trying to understand other people's beliefs seems to be a much healthier endeavor than trying to impose one's beliefs on others too much. It's, uh, but well, but it's, I, I, think, it's, I think that's why it can easily become a minus 100 to answer your yeah. point. Yeah, well, it's, 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 you know, it's believing that fundamentally everyone has their right to believe what they want to believe and that they have all the resources internally to make the right choices for them. And then it's navigating through that based on that perspective. So, sure. so our choices, right? We can, we can stay clear and not go near it. Um, Which is in itself a belief, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's in itself is a belief that we should not, have our own choices. Not, not, which... Yeah, not, not mine to deal with. I'm not going to go near it. And as we said when we opened, now you're complicit. That, that option isn't there anymore. 
But that's like, what you just described there was a national belief. Okay, there are entire countries and nations who fundamentally believe that most people don't are not smart enough to be able to make their belief choices. Uh, you know, I'm not again. I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that. If that's the environment you're in, then that's an equally logical argument. You may, you may or may not disagree with it. Um, it may or may not have facts or evidence to back it up. But culture beats rationality every time. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Anyone who's had children knows how that is not a rational decision from a financial perspective to have a child. Yeah, so you were saying, okay. so our choices, Vicky, what are our choices? So first one we said was stay clear. The second one is handle it badly. <laughs> it's an option, Bips. Well, I would suggest that's the default for most people, right? Well, at least, at least most business well, leaders. Because it's not what they were trained for. Not what they're trained for, but some have the, some have the nose for it, Bips. Yeah, but, okay, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot now. 200 leaders or executives how many of how many have that nose two okay good <laughs> all right as long as, you, as long as you're not saying like 198 i'm good no 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 i agree with you it's um you know and I've, i have clients who are in the stay clear category and I, and I have clients who are trying to do their best to get through it um so yeah it's we do this for, we do this stuff for a living and we trip over it completely completely I th- you know and i think all that to say is it's easy to handle it badly and we shouldn't beat ourselves up. You know, the fact that we have the courage to go there, people will appreciate that. People will absolutely appreciate that. And I, I do think it's interesting, like, you know, I'm going to stand up for, for fellow business leaders for a minute here who have found themselves in, uh, in uncharted waters, maybe is the way I would describe it. And, and like, uh, there's a certain amount of compassion <laughs> that we should feel for these people as well, because... It's not like they know what they're doing. Like they, they, this is this is new. So, whenever you do anything new for the first time, it tends not to be very good and it tends to hurt a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think we we are very also at the same time as all this happened. We're also very unforgiving of leadership yeah. mistakes. Agreed. Um, that's Agreed. probably not healthy either. And the third option is that we handle it well and. I have, I have a leader that I work with who does, does this just remarkably. She has uh, a coffee with her 400 people every two weeks and we dive into whatever needs to be talked about. But the way we do it is based on opening up the conversation without giving a specific view about it. We'll state the facts, uh, you know, if it's a particular topic. We've got Juneteenth coming up this week. I don't yeah. know when our podcast will be released, but know that we recorded it around about this time, <laughs> you know, stating the facts about what Juneteenth is. So there's an ed- educational aspect because not everybody understands the history of a particular issue. Most people don't, to be honest. Um, they just heard the headlines. Well, I think it'd be fair to say, Vicky, both you and I were completely ignorant on that till we moved to the States. And so many of my clients are too, Bips, you know, even Americans, right? So I-, I think whenever you're going around these topics, if you see your first your first goal is to educate. And then that shows a willingness to go there and then open it up in such a way where you can have a conversation about it. And the way um, this dear leader is doing it is, is usually an interview with someone in the affected party in a very gentle way. So what I mean by that, it's having a conversation about 
how they've grown up experiencing whatever it might be and what is it we can do to support them going forward. So we steer away from any of the, here's you know, what you should believe or shouldn't believe. Yeah. It's literally an educational perspective and how can we support you? And each time we do it, we go into it <laughs> with a little trepidation because it could go in any kind of direction. But just the, 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 the courage to know that it's going to be okay. People are going to enjoy. And every time we come out of it with this blessing of, I know so much more. We're all one humanity going through the same version of something in different ways. And I understand so much more and have so much more empathy and so, so much less judgment. I guess the mindset you described there is uh, seek to learn. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't seek to judge. Seek to learn because chances are you don't know as much as you think you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On, exactly. on a particular topic. Exactly. So Vips, as we think about skills then, so if our dear leaders that are listening want to start... Yeah, they, they probably to want to top this. themselves right now. This is probably not the most... <laughs> this is probably not the most... <laughs> it's like, I, well, why, why do I want to do this exactly? <laughs> yeah, I, I would encourage you to lean into these conversations a little bit like how I described those coffee type conversations or whatever it is. There are ways... And reach out if you are struggling. You know, there are ways where you could do it, where you can educate, you can talk about what somebody's going through in front of others, and you can find out how to support them in a way that doesn't open up a can of worms. Quick sidebar, you just said she, this, this, this woman you're talking about, has coffee with 400 people. Is that like 400 coffees? No, it's on Zoom. So every Friday morning, every yeah, no, it's not four hundred. I was like, but, this woman's yeah. my hero. How does she? How does she do four hundred no, coffees? No, but but she she's somebody who went from a town hall a year to every two weeks. Yeah, it's amazing. And we have such rich and interesting conversations. And one week is always a diversity topic because there's always something that's come up. You know, always. You know, whether. Um, it's the the violence against Asian American. I mean, you name it. There's something every week, um, or it's it's a it's a business conversation about the goals and some of the things going on. So there's always something interesting to talk about. So let's talk about the skills in the last few minutes, Bibs. So what do you think the skills are as leaders dive into this? Um, if they want to dive into, <laughs> they yeah. can stay yeah. they can stay clear. That's a choice, but yeah. but it has consequences. I but if they want to dive in. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, I think here's my top three. Um, so again, it's predicated on the idea that staying clear is really unlikely to be a viable option over time if you want to continue to grow your career, at least, at, at least for the next decade or two. So I think the first one is uh, maybe less of a skill and more of a choice, which is just the volume of general knowledge about the world just has to go up. You have to read more, like, I mean, like, read, like, sensible news, like the kind you have to pay for rather than feeds. Um, just have to be aware of a lot more at a lower level, at a, at, a, at a greater level of depth. You know, you should be able to talk for five minutes about what Juneteenth is about. You should be able to talk, you know, all of these topics that are very complex and historically bound. And if you don't have the curiosity to acquire the breadth of knowledge to be able to engage, you're gonna come across very ignorant or token gesture. And if you do that, probably not a good idea. So that's, that's the first one. So, you know, simple things, you know, I, 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 everyone has their own list for me. You know, I love reading the, you know, Economist, FT, Wall Street Journal, Atlantic. There's a few conference board. There's a few things out there. Just 
just to try to keep the pulse, you know, um, the digest from the big universities, just to get a sense of what, what are, what's out there right now that people are thinking, and whether you agree with it or disagree with it. Um, for, for me, that's uh, uh, my brain training practice Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings for me is my forget about work, forget about the day-to-day, just, just experience the world. And I, th- I think that's, I, I wish, I think it's a practice one would have to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Now, a skill, a core skill, something you can actually go and study and learn and get a qualification for, presumably. Uh, not presumably, I know you can't, just all sorts of different ones. It's just the level, like it's diplomacy, diplomatic conversation, diplomatic thinking. And it's not just PR training. It's not just how to avoid a question or how to, you know, redirect a question. That's part of it. But it's also, you know, how how do you convey the essence of a direction without being tied down to a detail? How do you, how do you state an opinion without being overly judgmental? I mean, these are things that we often used to, and some of, some of us will still do, you know, we'll bitch and complain about politicians never giving a straight answer. Well, guess what? You're now going to have to be more of a politician. That's the, that's, you know, I, I mean that in the pure sense of the word. I don't, I mean that in terms of how one communicates in order to try to help a team, a group, a company, a community, a civilization, a nation to navigate complex social challenges. Those are not really right, wrong answers. Those are you know, the art of the, the art of the doable, not the art of the right, if you will. Um, and I think probably the third one, this is possibly the most obvious one, but I think the one that a lot of our listeners will have the hardest time with, which is just recognize that, that you're going to be asked to take a values and ethics based view and share it with your team, your company, your department, in some kind of open forum and they're not going to like it. <laughs> some of them aren't going to like it. And, and you're going to get five, you know, three, four, five, six explosions a year. You're going to have the, you know, you're going to have the super angry glass Dora who wants to write a two page essay on why you're the worst thing in the world. And because of something that you said or something that you thought, or, or you kind of have the blow up effect that happened. You know, I, I'm thinking about, a, um, Oh my God, what was that company? Backpack? Was it Backpack? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was Backpack, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to attribute this to the wrong company. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, (laughs) good example of someone trying to be quite transparent and quite honest and end up just blowing up. Um, So anyway, my point is, I think, you know, we, we, we all have to increase our tolerance threshold to how much is going to blow up. Um, and just accept that, that it's, it's going to happen and you're going to have to go and do some collateral damage, clean up, and, and that's okay. Now, I would say you probably want to keep that to, you know, maybe a couple a year, two, three, four a year. You probably don't want it to get to double digits. Um, but there's, there's, some, there's some formula for building the muscle to be able to deal with the consequences. And so, you know, people are gonna leave, people are gonna walk out, people are gonna complain. It might create, you know, HR trauma, might even create lawsuits. This stuff's gonna happen. Um, and it's, it, I think it's just part and parcel of the leadership equation and the commercial reality of how we think about cost of doing business over the next 
three, four, five, six, seven, ten years. Yeah, I agree with you. So yeah, actually, I think we should end on a positive note because I do feel like, well, shit, man, why the hell should I do this? <laughs> well, I think, I, think, I think the reason why is if you think about it, this is what we've been asking for for 30 years. I know I have been ever since I started working, which is I wish business environments would take real issues seriously. Like why do they just leave it to someone else and hope they do it? And yeah, what I'm trying to get across is this is what we asked for. You know, we wanted our organizations to be more purposeful. We wanted our organizations to do more of what was right and not just um, what made the most financial sense at a given point in time. And so we're asking for that, you know, whether you call it the triple bottom line, whether you call it more people-centric or human-centric environments, we ask for all of this. And so, you know, we can't do is ask for it and then, you know, back away when you realize the consequences of what you ask for. And I, I do think that, that, that well, I would suggest all you fabulous people out there and fabulous leaders, this is, it's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation. And this is kind of how we reshape the world. Agreed, agreed. All right, so we're gonna end with our Vicky challenge. That must have been really dark, right? For me to have to force myself to go optimistic at the end. <laughs> I just, I'm just reflecting on myself. Sorry, sorry, Vicky. Please, please uh, close us off with the Vicky challenge. Yeah, I, I think it's a heavy, it's a heavy conversation. You know, it's it's one that leaders could avoid for many, many years, and so for some, it's going to be a little jarring hearing this one. And and you know, we can't make it all about unicorns and rainbows. It's a, it's a tougher conversation. So how do you start? All right, the Vicky challenge. So. I would suggest you start with your training wheels. And what do I mean by that? Choose a conversation over the next 30 days that you can start to engage in that is lower risk. So don't choose one of the <laughs> racially charged, politically charged conversations that, that will blow up. Um, choose one that you feel like, you know, this is probably one I wouldn't normally lean into, but I, I think I can dip my toe in and start to first educate yourself on it, as Vip said, not from the, the social feeds, but do your research and understand all, uh, all sides of the argument. And then set up a conversation, maybe with a small team, you know, maybe with a team of 10, 15 people, five people, maybe even start one-on-one, -on -one and start to share a argument that is balanced on both sides and start to just put, put a topic out there and say that, you know, I'm interested in a conversation around this and um, I'm, I'm here, I'm open to it. That is your, pure, your, your one goal is to show that you are open to engage in a conversation. How does that sound, my friend? That sounds pretty awesome. All right, everyone. Well, we wish you a, uh, a good time out there. This is a tough one, but a really, really important one that's only going to become more and more important. And you'll hear Vips and I talk about it over the years to come. Without a doubt, it'll just get more refined as the world gets more and more hot. So with that, be fabulous. Till next time. Be fabulous, everyone. See you soon.